Hey, this is Chad Carswell, and I uh, just want to thank you guys for being here. You guys are listening to the Hall of Mirrors podcast. What's the what's the last outlet you did? Um, what's that O O A N or O A N N or whatever news network that um, Stephanie Hamill? She used to be a um, one of Trump's like. Uh, oh, O A N N. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I did her yesterday. Then I did um, one in Paraguay today. Um, one in Australia today. And, um, yeah, I can't even keep up with all of them anymore. I just started doing – just started the international ones this weekend. Okay. <laughs> hey, how was Australia? I'm just curious. <sighs> it was pretty good. They, the only There's only been one that's, um, you know, that's really tried to make it political and been like a bunch of liberal – well, is, am I – You can say whatever. How freely am I allowed to speak on here, I guess. It's free. As free as you yeah. want. All right. Well, there's only been a bunch one one station that's been a bunch of liberal jackasses, and that was really CBS News, and then my local Hickory paper um, that shared it to like five different other newspapers that they own. But those are the only two that's not been, you know, that's not tried to. That's basically just let it be free, like actually reported what's actually going on. My local paper, you know, they wrote a report trying to make it sound like I was some paraplegic locked up in a wheelchair and. You know, I was going to die anyway, regardless if I had a kidney. And, you know, I mean, it was the polar opposite of what the, the article was. And then CBS, Inside Edition, did this huge thing on me. And then they tried to turn things around, and she failed miserably. And um, they decided not to even air it. on the, at Every other news outlet in the country, you know, has shared it. And CBS News, after they came, what she found out was, was I actually set my tripod up, and I recorded the whole conversation. So I told her, I was like, air the shit that's fine because i got a videographer about the they're gonna flip the shit on you anyway so if you send something stupid out there and try and make me say that i said something i didn't i got y'all recorded just like you did me so we good that's awesome isn't that fucked up you have to do that oh man there were the the funny thing is is there's a guy that's in virginia his name's shamar great dude um he's kind of going through the same thing he's not a vet but you know he's dealing with the same thing doesn't want to get the vaccine um, and CBS had, had actually, they did the interview with him. The problem was he didn't know any better and him and his wife were sitting in front of the TV and they, the first question out of their mouth was, was what makes you think you're smarter than the doctor? And he had messaged me before I did CBS and said, yo, they're going to try and cohort you. So the first thing I, I was ready for half the questions and she asked me up front, she said, what makes you think you're smarter than the doctor? And I was like, well, First off, if we're talking about Dr. Fauci, I'm damn sure smarter than him. I'm like, hell, he's changed his mind more times than I've changed my prosthetics in the last three years. And I was like, you know, like but that's for one, that's for damn sure true. So if we want to go there, we're good. And then um, she's like, you know, she she turned questions around, like tried to make it political. And I said, I don't know how many damn times in a 10-minute interview, I got to tell you, this shit isn't political. But, you know, that's what I'm going to tell you. We're going to keep going down this road. And then they finally were like, you know, he did the whole thing, and she's like, oh, yeah, it's going to air tonight. And then I got a message saying Tom Brady's retirement um, overtook the hour-long segment, and I watched it, and it was like two minutes of the entire show. Sure. So, yeah, it's pretty crazy. So, so if we're getting into it, I, I, I first and foremost, let me say you have as much time as you want uh, with us. We're not going to rush you. I, I know a lot of the major news outlets say, hey, you've got to be on here. We're going to say this, and then they're going to edit and cut you out. Uh, we don't do that. Uh, if there's something you that we say or that you say that you're like, yeah, I don't necessarily want that. Just let Randy know and we can edit that as well. You're not um, going to have to worry about that with me. If I say okay. it, you can hear it. Well, I appreciate Sweet. that. Uh, but less work for me. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, so so if, if we're starting off, uh, how does this story begin for you? Uh, let, let's start off kind of you're, you're an Air Force vet, correct? Yes, sir. Thanks for your service. Uh, I was in the um, I was in the Air Force. Um, I actually was in boot camp when 9/11 happened, um, and then you know a month after I got stationed in Warner Robins, Georgia, I was shipped overseas. I actually volunteered to go to Operation Enduring Freedom. Um, served two tours over there. Um, got out of the military, came home, got in the car business, and um, put on a massive amount of weight. I gained probably 180 pounds in a little over a year. Um, just the car business, you know, smoking cigarettes, eating McDonald's and working 70 hours a week. It just, right. it got, we got to that point. 
and um, I just, you know, obviously was in bad health and, you know, the car business isn't the most healthiest industry to be in in the first place and um, ended up about, I guess it was 438, about 13 years ago, I uh, found out I was a type two diabetic. Okay. And um, when I found out I had lost like 130 pounds, you know, I was down to uh, well under, you know, 300 pounds. I got, got over 400 pounds and um, I got down way under 300. I was like 270, 260, 270 anyway. And I uh, got, or got found out I was a diabetic, basically gave myself diabetes from the, just the unhealthy lifestyle. And um, went through the whole process of learning that. And, you know, I didn't do a very good job. I was still in the car business. So, you know, the, the, when you become a diabetic and when it was as bad as mine was, you really got to flip your whole lifestyle upside down. I mean, you have to, if you don't eat, it's just as bad as if you do eat, depending okay. upon if you eat junk. And, um, you know, I was still in the car business, so I didn't respond very well. Um, and then about five years, I guess, about six years ago from now, I had lost even more weight. I was down to like 225 pounds, but the damage had done so much damage, like on me personally or whatever. I got a diabetic foot ulcer on my right leg and um, started going through the process of getting that healed. And uh, I had a doctor that was here in Hickory, and I was septic over 50 times. Um, the, uh, the doctor kept ignoring the radiologist, uh, basically who kept putting in the report that there was osteomyelitis present in the bone of my foot. And all he kept doing was going into breeding it. He would never cut any of the bone off. And I was stupid because I kept going to the same hospital. Um, but he was here in, in Catawba and, uh, they, uh, you know, they changed a bunch of the malpractice laws about 10 years ago, but I had a major case and, you know, they had said if it happened five years before it did that, you know, I'd have owned his boat, his house and two of his cars and told him he could keep his, you know, his retirement fund. But um, because the laws changed, I went through a bunch of surgeries and stuff on that leg. And um, I ended up going to a different hospital in Charlotte and finally decided that um, after the, I had my front half of my foot amputated that uh, I looked at it one day and I was like, I'm tired of dealing with this. Just cut the damn thing off. Like, I don't want to go through this anymore. I don't want to go through the surgeries. They were trying to talk me into keeping it and saving it. And, you know, hell, obviously, the more I go to the hospital, the more money they make. So, you know, they didn't want to go that route all the way. But I cut it off and um, had my first heart attack, had a widow make her heart attack and drove myself to the hospital um, after I had this heart attack. And then a year later, which was three years ago this May, I woke up one night in the middle of the night thinking I was having another heart attack. And um, tried to stand up. And when I tried to stand up, put my prosthetic on, I couldn't walk. I was paralyzed, like from the waist down. I couldn't move. But my whole body was, it was the weirdest feeling, like I was numb. I knew something was majorly wrong, but it was actually, I'll never forget it. It was a night Carolina played Duke. And I had left my cell phone downstairs. My townhome was two stories. And um, I remember standing up and trying to move, and I couldn't move. And I sat, like, fell back down on the bed. And I was like, all right, something It's like three o'clock in the morning. I'm like, something's really wrong. Like, you know, I've been through enough stuff with my body. I've been being septic. I didn't think there was anything worse than being sepsis because it's your whole body's infected. You're, you got a blood infection. Right. It was, you know, it was bad. I about died a couple of times with that. And uh, the only thing I remember is I watched Marcus Luttrell right before that. I'm sure you guys know who that is, Lone Survivor, um, where he did an interview with Alabama and he had told him that, you know, when he broke his back, when he fell off this rock, that he took a rock and he drew a line in the ground and he crawled till his feet touched that line. And he did it for like six miles until he basically got to this house. Well, I was literally laying in the bed at three o'clock in the morning. And I'm like, I, I got to get to my phone because something's majorly wrong. And I remember rolling off my bed and barrel crawling to my stairs and threw my leg down the stairs. And then I literally barrel rolled down the stairs. Crawled to my cell phone, called 911, the hospital came, they picked me up. I was in full-blown renal kidney failure. My blood pressure was like 250 over 130. Uh, my whole body was basically shutting down. Wow. And they couldn't figure out why, and they didn't want to shoot dye in me because the dye can cause, you know, more kidney failure, and I was already in full-blown renal kidney failure. So I was laying in the hospital for two days. They were running all these labs. They couldn't figure out what was going on. Finally, the doctor come in and said, if I don't do this scan, then you're going to die. And I'm like, I'm going to die any damn way if you do. You know what I mean? Like, we don't figure something out. It's not going to end. You know, so let, let me stop you for one second. You, this was just out of the blue. You woke up out and you just, you wake up in pain or you kind of just woke up just 
like a normal, like, all right, I'm, you know, I, did, I turned the wrong way or whatnot. And then, the- no, so when I had the, when I had the widow major heart attack, the very first heart attack I ever woke, I had, I woke up thinking somebody broke into my house and was choking me. I literally woke up asleep and I, I grabbed my gun. I keep a gun underneath my pillow, grabbed my gun. And I was doing this because I thought somebody was on top of me choking me. And, you know, obviously after I got done waving my gun around like a madman, luckily I didn't have my dog at the time. Cause I mean, if it had been up there, it probably got shot. Cause I literally thought somebody was on top of me. Wow. Same thing happened this, this time when this, you know, woke up, I woke up aspirating hard to breathe. I felt like I had a million you know, pounds of weight on me. What that was, was I actually had about 30 pounds of fluid that had developed and sat on top of my chest and my lungs when I had fell asleep that night. Wow. And uh, that was just caused by the organ failure and the heart issues and stuff that I had had. And um, so that Friday, after I'd been in the hospital two days, she said, look, we've got to do the scan. And uh, we went into the MRI room and about 15 minutes after we did the MRI, it was like 5.15 in the afternoon. She walks in, she throws a gown at me. And she says, listen, I got to get you an emergency surgery. You're probably not going to live through the night. I don't know if you can survive surgery, but I don't have a choice. And so I was like, what? I was literally, I felt bad. Don't get me wrong, but I was talking to her like me and you were talking. Right. The oxygen levels were really, really low. And, you know, they kept fluctuating and my blood pressure was crazy. And um, I just remember calling my dad because my dad's my best friend. And, you know, I was on the phone with him in tears. I'm like, damn, the doctor just told me for the 80th damn time in my life that I'm going to freaking die. But this time it was way different because she called my dad when I was in the operating room and I couldn't wait 12 minutes for my dad to get to the hospital. And, um, she called my dad as I was going in and said, listen, if he's got family, y'all need to get here. I don't think he's going to live. And, uh, I was in surgery for six hours, come out of surgery. My whole hallway was lined full of people waiting to see me because they didn't think I was going to live and, um, survived surgery, woke up the next morning and uh, they had a big cast on my whole leg and they took it off. And I had basically what had happened was I had two massive blood clots in my leg and, um, you know, that on my left leg. And it was just from the pressure and all that stuff where I had put a prosthetic on. And, you know, I went to the gym five, six days a week, played golf. And, you know, the left leg was just like, damn, homie, we're trying to, you know, trying to hold all this up. And uh, woke up the next morning, took the cast off. My leg looked like it had been shoved through a meat grinder. And, um, you know, I looked down at it and the doctor walks in and she says, Hey, uh, I saved your life and I saved your leg. And I said, well, you did one of them. I said, I appreciate you saving my life, but you didn't save my leg. And she said, uh, what do you mean? And I said, you're going to tell me I need to quit going to the gym. I need to quit playing golf. I need to quit living my life. And I said, you know, I told myself when this whole thing started that I would never allow anything medically to change how I want to live. Like it wasn't going to happen. I'd rather be dead. And uh, so I told her, I looked at my dad. I said, I'm going to need you. He said, bet, I got you. I said, cut it off. And two days later, we cut the second one off. And uh, that was three years ago. And um, in between then and there, just to not drag it out a whole lot, but I've had six more heart, or I've had five more heart attacks um, total last July. Um, Is that because of the blood clots? So you, you keep clouding? Is that what's going on? Well, the heart attacks? Yeah. So the heart attacks, basically, three of them happened because – I had, and I ultimately ended up getting this fixed when I had quadruple open heart bypass surgery, but I had come to find out I had three arteries that were hundred percent blocked. One artery was a 90% blocked. Wow. And um, then the other three heart attacks happened because of kidney failure. When you build up fluid and you get sick, the fluid lands on top of your chest and basically sits on your heart and caused my heart to stop three different times. So last July, um, you know, like I said, I go to the gym all the time and I can kind of tell when something's up with my body and something's going on. And um, I walked up my stairs and I literally walked from my living room to my stairs and I was panting out of breath, sweating really heavily and just happened out of the blue. And uh, I called my nephrologist, my doctor, my kidney doctor. And I was like, look, something's up. Like, I can't breathe. And she said, get to the hospital right now. Give some blood. So I gave blood and she called me back an hour later and said, pack a bag, get to the hospital. I'm admitting you right now. You have to have emergency dialysis. And I wasn't on dialysis up until July of 2020. So a year, about a year and a half ago. And that was when this happened. And I got admitted and had an emergency catheter put in my heart and uh, started dialysis. I had 35 pounds of fluid on me when I got admitted to the hospital. And um, one of the first things they check with your kidneys is your heart. Because what people don't understand is your kidney is actually the most important organ in your body. Like, it's more important than your heart is your kidney stops that there's no, there's no bringing it back. Like if your heart stops, 
They can make your heart start again. You know, they can bring your heart back. Your kidney goes, it's a wrap, and everything goes along with it. Plus, your kidneys, you know, wash out all the toxins and stuff that can poison your bloodstream and all that. But either way, um, they went and checked my heart because they knew that I was going to have to have a transplant fairly soon. And um, as soon as they took me in the cath lab, they immediately rolled me in, stuck the needle through my arm, run it up into my heart. Five minutes later, I'm in the, you know, getting told that I've got to get rushed to Baptist Hospital to have emergency open heart surgery. And um, so then I had quadruple open heart bypass surgery in July of 2020 and um, got out of there. And, uh, you know, then I got COVID twice. And um, in September of this past year, I almost died from COVID. Um, I was on four and a half liters of oxygen, left lung collapsed. Uh, 23 pounds of fluid on me and I walked out of the hospital and popped some horse paste and 48 hours later, I was good as new. And uh, then I've been a big advocate about ivermectin and the horse paste since then. I've helped a lot of people, um, you know, with us. A lot of people call me Mr. Ed and, you know, I got all kinds <laughs> of shit about the horse paste, but don't bother me none. Shit saved my life. And I've had about 150 people who's, you know, it's happened to since then. So that's pretty much the, the generic quick version of all the shit that's happened to me. And they still want you vaxxed. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I asked them. It was funny because, you know, going into that, you know, I went to you have to wait six months after you have open heart surgery to get cleared to go to the transplant, you know, just to make sure your heart's good and all that. And I was perfect. I was back in the gym eight weeks after I had open heart surgery. So, you know, hell, like my heart, the inside of my heart and my actual heart, you know, they told me it looked like Michael Phelps heart. It was just my arteries and stuff around from when I was a fat ass and ate McDonald's 12 times a day and you know, that, that caused all the main issues with it. But um, they put me on the list or whatever. And uh, I went to Baptist three weeks ago to start the process. And um, I was there for like eight hours, had all kinds of scans run, blood run, the whole nine, had all that stuff. And I had even called, I have my, my the lady that runs my hospital or runs our, tra- our referrals. I had her call to check because I wasn't getting the vax. I mean, I've turned the, in dialysis, dialysis patients were the first ones to get offered the vax before it was even public to humans. And then every time a new stupid fucking booster comes out, you know, it's Dallas's people are the first ones that get offered the booster. So I was offered the shot even before people in, you know, the, in life was and I'm, you know, like I'm not getting that shit from day one. And um, so they had called and told Baptist and Baptist was like, yeah, we're not requiring it, you know, at this time, blah, blah, blah. So I go to, um, I go in there and I get done with the entire day, all the scans, all the labs, the whole nine, Nurse practitioner walks in and says, uh, hey, so the last thing we need to talk about is your vaccination status. And I said, yeah, I don't need to talk about that. And uh, I said, because it's not an option. And he goes, well, uh, per our protocol, and I'm like, save that shit. I said, we already called. And he said, yeah, it changed. And um, he goes, can you explain to me why you don't want the vaccine? And I said, are you sure you want to open that door with me? And uh, I said, because I'm not some dumb redneck from Burke County. I know what I'm talking about. And he's like, yeah, sure. So the first thing I asked him was, was I said, um, you know, England is like the second most vaccinated country in the world. And 60% of the population that's in the hospital with COVID are fully vaccinated. I said, how's that and why? He said, oh, they smoke more. I'm like, are you shitting me? Like, I live in North Carolina. Everybody walks around with a can of Copenhagen and a pack of Marlboros in the hand. Like, don't tell me they smoke more in England. Then I asked him, you know, where the flu went. And he said, oh, everybody masked up and everybody socially distanced and everybody stayed home. I said, really? I said, well, isn't that what the CDC said would stop COVID? I said, the shit's inflated. The flu's went away because everybody did what the CDC said, but COVID don't. So who's lying? And he said, oh, and I said, do you watch sports? I said, hell, turn the damn TV on. There's a hundred thousand fans sitting in any arena every night. They damn sure ain't socially distanced and ain't got no damn mask on either. And um, so he kept fumbling and, you know, I made him look stupid. And then I asked him about ivermectin and remdesivir. And then I asked him, I said, well, let's test my natural antibodies. I said, I've had to shit twice. I said, what does a vaccine do? It produces antibodies in your body. I said, guess what natural, you know, immunization does. If I had the damn thing, I produced antibodies. So just test me. No, it's not about that. It's about the shot. And I was like, well, ain't nothing else to talk about. I'm not getting it. And he said, well, if you don't get it, you know you'll die. And I said, I guess I'll die. I said, because I'm out. And I got up and I walked out. And about 10 minutes after I left the hospital, the lead, Dr. Strada, is the plant or the um, transplant coordinator at Baptist Hospital, called me on the phone and was like, man, you know, you're you're obviously smarter than than what we realized. And he said, "Uh, I agree with you 100%. 
He said, everything you said, I don't disagree with you at all. He said, um, if it were up to me, I would let you get it without the vaccine. He said, but you have to go in front of a, um, a board. And he said, and the board's not going to let you go through. And I said, no problem. I appreciate you calling me. Have a good day. And then, you know, now we're here talking to them, everybody in the universe about what happened. So, so Chad, real quick, I, I just have to say this for, I mean, we've been going strong with uh, our freedom of choice um, episodes since last July. And we always have to put a disclaimer up so we don't get deplatformed. So Hall of Mirrors, we're freedom of choice, 100%. And for those listening, we're not anti-vax, we're freedom of choice. It's your choice, right? And so today we're telling the story of Chad Carswell, North Carolina resident, for those that are just tuning in. Um, and kidney failure needs a kidney, went to go get it, does not want to be vaxxed, and we're all freedom of choice. A lot of us feel that way, and he's being denied his uh, kidney transplant. Um, but getting back to your what you just told us, I just have one question. Have you tried to go anywhere else as far yeah, so as you to, to get – oh, go ahead. Yeah. So to piggyback off what you said real quick to kind of, you know, mask the disclaimer that you said, any interview you watch me do in any platform in the world, I tell people the exact same thing. I'm not anti-vax. I'm 100% pro-choice. If you want to get it, you think it's what's best for you and your family, by all means, take it and the 47 boosters that come along with it. I don't care. It doesn't, I don't, I'm not, I'm not one of those people. I have family that are vaccinated. I have my you know great friends that are vaccinated and they'll all tell you never one time have I said you know hey you're wrong but the thing is I'm not wrong either you know they chose to make it I should be able to have that same choice and you know some people's made it political it's damn sure not political I've had you know how many idiots I've had say you know your president's the one who made you do this or your president made the vax and I'm like you talking about Biden because I'm an American and I'm not like y'all dipshits like when Trump was the president he was your president now Biden's our president. He's my president. Right. So it's not political. You know, I, I've got a, my best friend's daughter is three years old. And I look at the life that she's going to live 10 years from now if we don't stop it right now. You know, if we don't stop what the what liberties and freedoms they're taking from us at this point, you know, who knows what she's going to be living in, you know, from from now. On. And it, it's nothing changes until something changes. And it takes somebody to stand up to them. And, you know, That's I'm right. not. But. As far as the other hospitals, absolutely. Um, I've contacted pretty much almost every single hospital. I don't want to. I don't want to get quoted by saying I've contacted every one of them, but I, I pretty much every one of them in the country. Um, and everybody's the same, and everybody's policies are changing very, very drastically. There's one hospital in Texas that is still um, a possibility, but I have told them. Um, you know, straight up to verify and make sure because with all the platforms that I'm on and the people that are supporting me, you know, I told them I'd get on a plane tomorrow and be in Texas. I have a, a former owner that run a dealership that I was the general manager of that has a private jet that, you know, he's already told me wherever we got to fly, you can fly. Um, so I'm ready to go at any point, but I told him don't have me coming to Texas and then me get there and then you flip it on me because I'll have every news outlet standing on your doorstep you know, within 10 minutes of you telling me something stupid. So we're trying to verify that part um, right now, but every other hospital, like the hospitals and a lot of people keep saying Florida, um, they've all changed within the last week. There was a hospital in North Carolina that, uh, that will still tell you on the phone that their policy is you don't have to be vaccinated. What they're not telling you is, is that you don't have to be vaccinated to come get tested. You don't have to be vaccinated to go in front of the, the people. You don't have to get vaccinated to uh, get listed, but you do have to get vac- vaccinated to list be listed active. So they'll list you, but they list you inactive. Well, it's the same damn thing as not being you know on the list in general, because if you're inactive, they won't test living donors and they won't give you a kidney, um, you know, if you have a, because you're not even on the list. So um, a lot of people are trying to rearrange the verbiage and because this is getting so big, uh, you know, I've seen it. I've seen people change things within 24 hours, you know, of what they were saying, because, you know, obviously there's there's a lot of uh, hoopla involved. There's a lot of people going to want to know when I go to the doctor and the hospitals, you know, what's said. So they're all kind of, you know, hiding in the backwoods right now trying to protect themselves. Can I ask you why? Why are they denying you? Why are they saying that you have to be vaccinated 
to get so there's it's like, a good where, where's the correlation come so a lot of people and this is you know i mean this is well-known facts so i can be quoted saying this because you know obviously with hipaa they can't they can't verify but i can um i even with you know a lot of people are like oh look at all his past health troubles you know he's not gonna take care of you, you can go to my facebook page i promise you i don't weigh 400 pounds anymore and i go to the gym five days a week and anybody who says that i'll meet you in the gym and if you can keep up with me i'll get the damn shot because, you know, I, I go I go really hard and I've worked my tail off to get to the point that I am right now. But um, the only reason, you know, that I was 100, there is nothing in, I've reversed type 2 diabetes without medicine, without insulin, without metformin, without anything. I've done it with diet and exercise. My A1C is under six now, um, you know, and I mean, it's, it's all been because of that. So the only reason that is, you know, this whole thing has anything to do with is with the vaccine. And what the hospitals will say is it's based off of UNOS, which is who comes out and gives all the regulations where they recommend, you know, what these hospitals should go off of. They don't make the guidelines. They don't tell them you have to, you know, they recommend it, but it's all a, a, a power stance. That's all this is, is it's, you know, it's them, you know, trying to utilize, um, you know, this whole thing. And I'll be honest with you, you know, call it whatever you want to call it, but population control at its finest. That's what this has to do with more than anything else. And that's all COVID has to do with, you know, I don't, I'm a firm believer that COVID isn't killing people. I think that remdesivir ventilators and hospital protocols are what's killing people far more than COVID itself. So, you know, that's, that's what my answer is as far as why they're requiring a vaccine is it it's part of their, you know, protocol and it fits the agenda of control. Okay. So when you're, what, what's, what's the next step? Uh, where, where are we at in, in this process with you? So earlier today, I've, I've got a really good friend that deals with international trading for the government. Um, and he deals with uh, people in Colombia and um, a couple other countries and very, very, he's actually like, I ain't going to say close friends with the pre, the vice president of Colombia, but he's has the personal phone number of the vice president of Colombia and I've got a lot of leads as far as a hospital there and in Puerto Rico. The problem is um, in Mexico, but the, the problem with that is, is you have to I have so many donors. I mean, I have a plethora of, 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 of people that are willing to give me a kidney right now. And the way that that works is, is these people have to get tested. So there's blood work, there's labs, there's compatibility. Sure. Um, all that stuff has to happen. And being in another country, you know, it's really hard to have people, you know, they can do all the blood work and stuff here and have that stuff sent, but it's hard getting the actual scans and things done that are also required. Getting somebody with me to Columbia wouldn't be hard, um, but it's the, the pre-stuff, you know, finding out how to get them there because a donor only has to stay in the hospital one night. So, and that's just to make sure that they still keep producing urine, but I'm in the hospital for seven days minimum and um, or five to seven days minimum. And then, you know, I have to stay close to wherever the hospital is for six weeks because you have to go back three times a week for the first six weeks after you have transplant, which is my part's nothing. It's just basically finding the match to be able to go overseas. That and the hospital in Texas. And then, you know, that I still have hope that somewhere in humanity that, um, you know, that there's six Republican governors just – uh, put a law or put a uh, bill in front of the um, house the other day that would require all transplant facilities to not discriminate against vaccination statuses. Um, but the problem is, is, you know, to ultimately for that to pass, our president would have to sign off on it. And, um, you know, I'm not very hopeful when something like that happens. So, um, you know, we'll see. It, it's, it's getting a lot of attention. I get a lot of messages every single day and, you know, I'm not losing any kind of hope for it, but I'm also not backing down and, and what it is, if it ultimately costs me my life, then, you know, hopefully it brings change somewhere down the road. So you're at a, sorry, Mike, you're, you're at a 4% kidney function for both your kidneys. Like they're. One, at- yeah. Yeah. Actually one of them is not, doesn't function at all. Um, I only have one kidney or one kidney that's actually, and what people don't realize is, is you have two kidneys, only one of them you use. You only use one of your kidneys that kind of time. So, but one of mine doesn't, is not, it's basically, you know, it's wasted space in my body. But when you get a kidney transplant, they don't even take the old ones out. They leave them in and they just add the new one in. Interesting. But I've went from 23% to 4% in the past year, um, as far as my function goes. 
my mom just, uh, well, it'll be two years already. Uh, she had cancer on one of her kidneys and had it removed. That was, uh, that was quite an ordeal. But. Yeah, when with with the failure, kidney failure and stuff, they don't remove. There's certain situations that like you can get malignant masses and stuff like that on them, and they'll remove them for those causes. But if yeah. it's straight just due to kidney failure and the, the kidneys, you know, just stop working, they don't take them out of you at all. They actually leave the kidneys in place, and then the donor it only has like a small incision. It's about an inch and a half um, where they remove that kidney from, and then they do an incision like in your pelvic. And they attach it, you know, like straight to your bladder, um, you know, in there with you know, they make veins and blood vessels and stuff like that, and you know, spring it straight off of there. It's mind blowing. Yeah. So, so you're you're saying, you know, all this has been happening in the last couple of weeks, and but in the grand scheme of things, the hours matter, right? Oh yeah. Well, I mean, I mean you know, ultimately, there's. That's the thing with kidney function. You know, cancer, a lot of, they can they can give you a, a timeline and say, hey, look, you know, this is kind of where kidney failure is a lot different. There's no um there's no set like, okay, you've got, you know, a year to live, you've got six months to live, you've got five years to live. What they do know is is the average life expectancy on dialysis is five to six years. Um, with my blood type, if it was a cadaver kidney. And I was active on the list. The average time to get a kidney is five to six years. Imagine that. But the um, the the part that I'm at now, because I don't need one of those, I, you know, it, it's a it could all stop in a matter of minutes. You know, I mean, the the thing could quit, and there's no bringing you back. I mean, people think dialysis is like one of those things that keeps you alive forever. It does more damage to your body than it does good. I mean, it. It's very hard on your heart. It's very hard on, you know, other avenues. Just imagine over the course of five hours, every drop of blood completely taken out of your body and then cleaned and put back in your body. You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, it's the, I've been through a lot of stuff in my life, a lot of painful stuff. There is absolutely nothing worse than dialysis. It is the most demoralizing, you know, it's the worst thing I've hands down ever been through in my life. You do that three times a week? Yes, sir. Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Oh my gosh. Yeah, go ahead. I get there at about six o'clock in the morning. I'm there at about 1130 laying in a chair. Wow. So, so do you have any sort of website that's up uh, or and some sort of GoFundMe page that we could throw our viewers towards if they want to help or reach out to you? Uh, you know, we, we have a, a plethora of viewers that are in healthcare uh, that, that we might be able to send directly your way if they're able to assist. Yep. So, um, my Facebook page is just Chad Carswell, and I post every update. I post on there three or four times a day. My TikTok is Chad Carswell. I, I you know, keep that updated as well. Uh, my GoFundMe is on my uh, Facebook page, and then there's also a link to where my I have a, a kind of like a foundation page where it's called Chad Carswell's Fight for Life on. Um, that's kind of my thing. About five years ago, I, I made up hashtag Life on. You know, when people need to see, they flip a light switch on. And, you know, when you when you got to live, you got to turn your life on. So, um, you know, I made that up and it's on my leg, actually. See, I was taking it off. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. So. Nice. Yeah, yeah man, so. I was uh, I was keeping up with your Facebook posts. I, you know, you want to see the scum of the earth, the most <laughs> yeah. evil people. I, I just I was blown away by the comments. Yeah, man, it's uh, it's pretty crazy. I get I get death threats. I get um I, I get well over a hundred hate messages a day um, over a stupid fucking vaccine. Oh yeah, man, it's uh it's pretty funny. You know, I tell every one of them the same thing. Like, let's come to NC and and step up. Let's let's have a talk in person. I don't even talk over a keyboard. I promise you, I'm not hiding behind shit. So, you know, come on down here. We can talk in person. I'm fine with that. No, they don't, actually- man. You know, I'm a I'm a very, very, you know, strong believer in my faith and, you know, in God and that kind of thing. And, and, uh, you know, I'll never be John the Baptist because I'm going to cuss. And, you know, once I get done with this phone, I drink a beer, I'm going to drink a beer. And, you know, I'm one of those dudes that believes that, you know, God, absolutely. I'm one of those guys that believes that, you know, you don't have to wear your Sunday best to go to church because, you know, God hung out with the hookers and the strippers and the poor people. And, you know, he didn't care about what you wore. He just wanted you there. And, you know, the, I think more people push people away from God with their, their narrative than they, you know, they bring to them or whatever. But, 
you know, that stuff doesn't phase me. And I have to keep my mom and my grandmother and my stepmom off my Facebook page because hell, they can't handle it. They get emotional and stuff right. on there. And, you know, my mom caught one of them a pussy this morning and she got a 72 hour ban. Oh, that was your mom? I saw that. Yeah, that was my mom. <laughs> that was my mom. I posted where I went to church and like two two comments under my mom's like, Yeah, you're a pussy. I called her. I was like, Hey, uh, you know, that was my church post. And she was like, Whatever, you get to go with the bat. I'm like, Screw it. you good. What you do? I went to one funny story real quick. I mean, it's, I think it's funny. Uh, dude, I, I just got back. I was on vacation with my family at Disney, not going down any, trying not to go down any political rabbit hole or anything, but uh, I always have to go to the hall of presidents. Have you ever been to that? No. Okay. So at Disney, they have this, this beautiful concert hall. It's called hall of presidents. Right. And you, and you go in there and uh, it tells the story of America. It's honestly, man, I get teared up every time I watch it. It's beautiful. Like almost, surrounding you is the screen it it tells from you know uh discovering america all the way revolutionary war civil war everything right but it shows it features all the presence animatronic and uh it's the abraham lincoln kind of tells a story does the gettysburg address all like he's in front of you it's, it's cool shit but at the end after they tell the story uh they introduce every single president he's animatronic and he waves or looks or whatever so, you know, here they go, you know, 43, 44. Dude, when it hit Donald Trump. Okay, we're in Disney, right? Okay. Yeah. When, you're, when you're at Disney, there's like certain types of people at Disney, okay? Right. Um, and I'm not discriminating or anything. But, dude, I did not expect it. The whole crowd erupted in cheers and clapping and screaming and hollering. And I had, I cried like a baby, dude. I'm not even, I felt so patriotic. It was freaking, and now, and then like two, and I told my wife, because my wife didn't go in there with me and my son. I'm like, you wouldn't believe what happened. The whole crowd erupted for Trump. And when Biden came on, there was one person pissed off in that whole auditorium that was just like clapping really hard just to be heard. <laughs> and then like three days later, a dude recorded a different, because it plays like every 45 minutes, right? right. He did a TikTok of it and it went viral. And it, it got to a point where the they call them cast members, the people that work there. They in the TikTok, they tell the crowd, okay, stop ruining the show. And they get over the PA system. Check it out, dude. It, it's pretty cool. But I have to check it out. That's cool. Just to be just to give you a peek inside the mind of America when you're at Disney and that happens, it gives you a very good perspective of what the whole country's feeling and thinking, I believe. No, I don't disagree with you at all. I, I'm, I've had, I mean, you know, it's, uh, I see it. I mean, I, I've had people that are, are bona fide, you know, the other side message me. And there's still a lot of good people in the world too, because I've had vaccinated people message me like, hey man, you know, we support you. It's still freedom of choice. I don't care what they say. You know, I've had Democrats and, you know, Republicans and, and of all, you know, I had one guy today. Like he was a follower and he was a, he was a supporter, but I pissed him off and he deleted me right after I pissed him off. And it was because I put a Facebook post up and I'm going to read what it says to you real quick. So you like, I don't mess this up because this dude said, so I put a picture up that said, you will never influence the world by trying to be like it. And then I put, um, I'm me. I don't need nor want to be you stay woke, stay blessed. And this guy puts on here, his name is Leon Laura. He's from from Texas. But he said, we are not woke, sir. That is the communist word. Please stop using it. God bless. Now, this guy's somebody that supported me, sent me a message saying he supported what I was doing. But then he messaged that. And just to make sure, like, I don't pull any punches. This was my response. I said, see, that's part of the problem. I don't care who uses what. I use what I want to use. The word doesn't say to be used by communists only in the dictionary. That's part of the problem is everyone is worried about everyone else. I worry about me and what I do, and that includes what I say or I do. But, you know, and then he deleted me right after I said that. And he was like one of the people who was 
all for me. Hey, man, stand up. And some of these people don't even watch the damn videos and they try and make it still political. And I'm like, you're not going to drag me into that because I don't believe it's political. I just believe it's control. Like, and this yeah. is all I, I, it's all I care about. If you want to make it that way, do what you do. But you ain't going to pull me into that rabbit hole. Well, I feel like, uh, my God, we haven't even discussed this. This is our first show in 2022, by the way. We uh, took a nice break. Mike was in a car accident, and uh, we just we needed time. Mike's healing, and and uh, we put a lot of work in last year. Um, but we haven't even discussed this, you know. But right. just watching the news, I feel like we're we're definitely trending in the right direction. Uh, I just saw like Illinois today, fifty-one uh, percent. Uh, the rates down 51% of COVID cases, blah, blah, blah. Um, I, I just feel like we're going in the right direction. I don't see as many commercials, you know, I mean, how do you, well, everybody, you couldn't, you couldn't, I mean, you couldn't write this better in a storybook in and of a movie. Like hell, if you, if you, if you're, if you're, you use your brain and you know why this happened, you knew that it was going to fade off, especially, right? especially here's what's even crazier. So, if everybody remembers when 45's ratings were getting higher, all of a sudden school shootings and shit started happening. Oh, yeah. So I'm figuring out now that Biden's numbers are crashing quicker than, I mean, a, a freaking tidal wave is somewhere. Then now all of a sudden we got to make it look like he's doing something great. So the numbers are going to start trending in a different direction for them to be able to pull what they're pulling. It's not hard to see. I mean, I don't care what anybody says. It doesn't. It's just, but the same thing happens with remdesivir and ivermectin. Like, if you go to FDA's website and you pull up remdesivir and you read what it says, it says remdesivir has a five-day window. If it doesn't work in five days, it causes a full acute organ failure, period. It says it on the FDA's website. If you look at people who get hospitalized with COVID, the first five to seven days, everybody's like optimistic. One day it's up, one day it's down, one day it's up, one day it's down. After a week, all of a sudden they start talking about ventilators, they go on CPAP machines, right. and then boom, they're on a vent and they're dead. They don't die from COVID. They die from full organ failure. Right. So I don't know if you uh, did any like homework or background on us, but we had um, several nurses on, um, and we talked about that quite a bit. Um I, I do want to share this because I haven't like this is our first show, like I said, uh, to our followers. Um, first of the year, I got COVID. OK, so the two and a half years, I, I, I never got it one time. I was immunocompromised for those two years. Uh, but my wife's a nurse and sure shit, she brought it home. She didn't know she had it. She didn't have any flu like symptoms. She just once she lost her taste and smell, she's like, oh, shit. But she went and got tested and she was negative. It's too late. But three days later, I got sick. So I just want to share my experience uh, for anyone that's listening. Being an immunocompromised person, I just use common sense, just like you're saying, right? We all do our research. First three days, I had chills, body aches. Felt like the flu. So what did I do? I doubled my vitamin C. I doubled my vitamin D. I tried zinc, but it doesn't agree with me. It just wasn't working. I drank a shit ton of water, shit ton of water. And I, uh, well, I, I drank tea, a lot of tea. My wife turned me on to, yeah, I know it's, it's funny. Starbucks does this medicine ball tea, right? So honey citrus, mint tea. It's like peach tea, mint tea, some honey and lemonade. I drank that like every day, three days of flu-like symptoms. The next two days I was like 80%. And then on day like five, I got the cold, like just some sinus stuff. Lasted a total of nine days. I was a hundred percent, no big deal, but I did test positive. I had to get tested for work and shit. I had it. It is what it is. Nothing. I mean, it was nothing. Just throwing it out there. Just do your research. Take care of yourself. That's all. That's all. So. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, the. I never lost my senses, by the way. I was good. It's, um, you know, it's it's not hard to, to realize and what to sit there and look back and see. I mean, I didn't know enough about remdesivir, and then they put me on it the first day I was in there, and then I found out three days later, I started realizing, like, why am I getting worse, you know, in the hospital? Like, I shouldn't be getting worse. And so I Googled remdesivir and started doing some research, and I'm like, you can go to my Facebook page. I got videos where I was live in the hospital, like, 
face looked like. I mean, I looked like a freaking sumo wrestler where the, the um, steroids and stuff, prednisone had swelled oh, yeah. me up and I had much fluid on me. And then when I left the hospital, I walked out. You know, I have a video where I'm at home um, doing the same thing where I'd finally. And the funny thing is, is, you know, all these hospitals are telling people to lay flat. Guess what happens when you lay flat? Everything falls on top of your lungs. They put you, know, you on like, prednisone for COVID? Oh, yeah. I was on prednisone or remdesivir. How, how many? I'm just curious. This is just because I'm so I know the drug like back of my hand. How many uh, milligrams were you on? I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I know the answer to that question. Okay, I, I got you. I got you. I feel you. I was getting a bag like every six hours. Oh, okay. Uh, okay. I was getting pumped in it. Like a, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh it wasn't on it that's was insane, dude. That's insane because it's a prednisone is like a miracle drug, but it's a double edged sword. So, it, oh, it, here's the thing with prednisone. So, it makes your sugars rise. So, you give it to a diabetic because it automatically makes your sugars rise. So, they kept my sugars stay around like 115, 120. And they started giving me prednisone. And all of a sudden, they're like, oh my God, your sugars are like 450. I'm like, no shit. And uh, so, they're coming in there like, pump me full of insulin. They're like, we got to get your sugars down. I'm like, Hey, dumbasses, you can't keep pumping prednisone in me. And then want to get my sugars down. Like make yeah. your mind up. Cause then it, fucks when I your, found out, it fucks your cortisol up. Yep. Then when I found out that remdesivir causes organ failure, I immediately said, give me off of this shit. I'm not taking it anymore. I'm like, you, I'm already in stage four kidney failure. I got 4% kidney function and you're putting me on some shit that shuts them down worse. Like, no, nah, I'm out. Good. I'll, I'll tell you, I know this shit at home. And I did just what you, when I left, I was, you can watch, man, I'm telling you, you should watch that video of me. I was jacked up. I will, and I literally, it was in September, but I literally walked every hour on the hour. I would get up and walk up and down the driveway one or two times. It was cold outside. I would sit outside and take deep breaths in, deep breaths out. And then I drank the hell out of orange juice and water. And, um, you know, I was, I took the ivermectin because I was really, I was bad. But, um, you know, within about 24 hours, 48 hours after I left the hospital, you know, I started getting better really, really quick. I was this close. I had a, a mail-in script for ivermectin. I was this close from filling it, but I could, I could feel the, the, the turn. I never went over like a, a hundred fever. So I kept it right there, you know, and, and so, gonna make fun of me, but I promise you, I'll never take the human version of ivermectin. I'll stick with the horse paste. Uh, get out by the weight and stick it in your throat and pop it down your mouth and you're good. Mm-hmm. I, I just had a good hookup. That's all, man. Next day delivery, but I, I didn't need yes, it. Yes, sir. Yeah, yeah. Well, I want to thank you for taking time to join us today. I, I really I do. I, I, I know we're not the, the, the largest podcast or uh, we're not Fox News or, or whatnot, but <laughs> I, I hope you enjoyed your time with us because we enjoyed talking to you. No, yeah, man. Listen, I'm um, I, I'm not one of those. You never, you, you never know who watches who and who follows who and who does what. You know, so I'll be honest. I've not turned anybody down. Um, I've done some that were very, very minuscule, very small, with like next to no followers. And you know, the dude actually was he he run a insurance company and he had a microphone that he kept in his desk drawer. And when he wanted to do his podcast, <laughs> he'd prop it on his you know his thing and. And he did it. And he literally had like, I think it was 500 followers or something, but you know, he didn't have a a big, big following, but again, you know, he lived in Ocala, Florida. There's a lot of big time like doctors and stuff that are in Ocala, especially at that hospital. So, you know, I said, screw it. I've not turned anybody down. I mean, anybody wants to talk about it and hear about it as long as, and I tell everybody the same thing, you know, as long as they really want to try and, and just get the story out there and use it for that purpose and not try and, you know, change the shit around and make it about some kind of different narrative. Man, I don't give a damn. I'll talk to anybody. It don't bother me none. Dude, I'm not, I'm not even going to edit this. It's going up. So, you know, you'll, you'll see we're, we're true to it. So uh, what I do ask is that uh, Randy might reach out to you in a couple of weeks just for a follow-up. Uh, and I'm in. I, we, we, we find a lot, a lot of these stories, uh, you know, they're in the media and then all of a sudden they're nowhere. Yeah. Yep. Right. Everyone just falls off, and we're, we're not like that. I, I, I sincerely want to know the outcome. Uh, and, you I know, can I, promise I, you this is not going to go away anytime soon. And I'll tell you why, because the frontline doctors of America have reached yep. out and um, their legal team spoke to me very, 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 very intrigued. Um, and, you know, they're very intrigued about going after this whole thing. And um, but the problem is, is, you know, they've had a couple of people who they said had a case and they could have you used to work with because you have to have somebody willing to stand up and actually, you know, kind of be the face of it. 
And they've said everybody's been too scared. Everybody's, you know, been, been scared of what can happen. And I said, you, you got the wrong or the right one with me because I'm not scared of any of that crap. So we can get it going. So, you know, I don't, I'm not too, I don't think it's really going to fade away too, too quick. It's, it's getting too much, too much out there. And I've got a lot of people like you, you know, pretty much have asked me to do the follow-up thing. And, you know, I just, like I said, I want to spread the word out there and, and make sure it's known that, you know, this isn't about me. This is about the world that, that if I'm still here, that I'm going to be living in 10 years from now, but I'm not, you know, the next generation coming up that they're going to have. So, Hey brother, you're a true patriot. Yeah. I want to thank you for that. And on top of that, I want to leave on a really positive note, right? Uh, you, you mentioned that when you were in boot camp, 9-11 happened. Yep. So I, and we appreciate your service. And and uh, I just want you to maybe tell our listeners, you know, what you felt when that happened, man. And you were and you were ready to defend this country, uh, the, the same country that's fucking denying you, uh, you know, your right to live, basically. You know, it's crazy because I tell a story. I've, I've been asked that a couple of times and I didn't go in the military because I wanted to be like all I could be. And I wanted to be some, you know, freaking warrior and, you know, military brat or whatever. My dad was a Marine and uh, I grew up through that shit. And I was like, I do not want to be in the military. Like I had to live through that and the way he you know, was. And, and I had no, no care to be in the military, but I graduated high school. Um, didn't have my head on straight when I was in high school and it was either work at Burger King and live in my dad's basement or, you know, go to them. I wasn't going to go to college. Hell, I was, you know, I didn't care about grades and studies enough. So um, I walked in the recruiting office. All four of them come at me like they were in a used car lot. I said, oh, yeah. who's got the shortest boot camp? The Air Force dude said me. I said, bet, I'm your guy. And, um, <laughs> you know, at that time, the world was peaceful, man. Hell, it wasn't nothing, nothing happening forever. And uh, so I went to boot camp. And 9-11 happened, and then I'm sitting there, and then, you know, all of a sudden, immediately, they're talking about war, and I'm like, oh, shit, you know, like, it's this is real. And what was crazy was, was there were people who had gotten so scared in boot camp that they were letting people out of the military in boot camp because people were threatening, like, to commit suicide and threatening to go AWOL and stuff because they were so scared because nothing had happened in the world. And then all of a sudden, now, it's like, yo, we're going to war. And um, I never one time it was like, I, you know, I committed to do this. This is what we're in. I volunteered, um, you know, both times that I went and was there. Um, and, and you know, I, I felt a matter of pride because this, you know, was always the greatest country in the world because of our freedom. You know, that's what and that's what I thought about, you know, being there was that was what was being defended was our freedom, our our right to, you know, to live in this great country that we live in that that gave us those freedoms and gave us those abilities to choose freedom of choice. That's right. Thanks, man. I, I really appreciate it. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for sharing yes, your sir. story. Thank you. And uh, we're going to make sure everyone hears it, man. Awesome. I appreciate you guys. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thank you.